Hi everyone, welcome back to the Modern Golden Age podcast. And today I have with me Etienne Fortier Dubois. And I know we, we've had a call and I mispronounced your name, but it's the best that I can do. How are you? I'm doing good and your pronunciation is perfectly fine. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. So Etienne, we connected uh, because I actually saw, um, I, I read actually a piece of yours on aesthetics and then we made this just curiosity call talking about it. And I really enjoyed your views and wanted you to, and wanted to have you on the podcast because one of the things that I really relate to the the concept of a modern golden age is is beauty and aesthetics and so you have this beautiful piece called a taxonomy on beauty and i hadn't read that specific piece when we did the call but i did ever since and i just want to take a big chunk of the podcast talking about it but before we do i do have other questions which is um you went to you actually have two degrees right one in uh evolutive biology i think in, in and another biology. In, yeah and in the other one in computer science programming that's right yeah so my question just before we jump into aesthetics is what are some common ground between these two areas if any in computer science and evolutionary biology yeah. um i mean there are several common things, commonalities. Uh, one of them, I think, I mean, my view is kind of that ev everything in life is evolutionary. So I will be able to mm. draw parallels between evolutionary biology and virtually anything else. Mm. Um, uh, I mean, biology is the study of living systems and computer science is the study of computations, which mm. are, uh, which, well, it's basically the study of processing information, uh, usually through things like computations uh, or storing in data structures. And so you can view, you, there's a lot of parallels and, and obviously also a lot of subfields that actually combine both like bioinformatics, uh, because biological systems are basically data structures for information, right, in DNA. Um, and that information is processed by various uh, things in our cells that make us like what we are. We're basically a pattern of information instantiated with atoms and like matter right um and computers or like anything that you can do with the computer is also a pattern of information that is instantiated yeah. with some atoms yeah did, did that mixture uh um shaped your worldview or your thinking in any specific way the as i said the evolutionary uh thing i think i actually studied evolutionary biology mostly for the philosophical aspects i actually ended up not being terribly interested in like actually doing the science itself experimental science so uh so for sure yeah it definitely influenced how i think um i mean it's, it's a, to some extent it's a little trite to say that things are evolutionary um it's kind of like it's not terribly original like we know this since darwin right it's not like a new insight but also it does feel like most people don't realize it and so there, that relatively few people think about memes in culture as an evolutionary process, but I think it makes a lot of sense to to view it that way. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah. So let's jump into beauty. And you actually uh, have been thinking when when we talked pre previously. You just you mentioned that um, you've been thinking about these topics for a while, and because of it, you actually have like this. Uh, deeper understanding that say the people like me that don't 
spend a few months just thinking around about beauty and i would love to start on your your personal definition of beauty yeah um well first of all let's not say that i'm any sort of expert about this it's just a topic i like thinking about and i don't know if i i like, like there are actual professional philosophers who write papers about aesthetics and beauty right so and i, I am not yeah. that but i'm just someone who thinks about this a lot and i think with some things like evolutionary thinking uh that does I, I do think I have a probably somewhat more coherent view of what beauty is than uh, most people who haven't really thought about it in, in, in any depth. Um, not that this is like a judgment of value or anything. It doesn't yeah. really matter. But I think it's an interesting topic to look at. And so to your question, what is um, beauty? My, my personal definition at this point is something like a mechanism for paying attention or to be aware of things that are good for us. Yeah. That's incredibly vague, right? It's, uh, it's, it's very, very broad. And, and, the re and the reason it's broad is that beauty can be applied to so many things. When you think about it, beauty can be applied to people, to food, to uh, sounds like music or just random noise, to smells even. It can be applied to virtually anything you can see, like natural phenomena like uh, things in space or plants or animals or uh, stories also, uh, even abstract concepts, just colors, shapes can be beautiful and mathematical equations can be beautiful to some. So like you need a definition that is incredibly general to capture all of this. And so my definition is this, something that tells us to pay attention to things that we may benefit from paying attention to. Um, Again, good is also super general, but that's uh, that's, yeah. that's how it is. And and my first question around that definition would be like, uh, you just mentioned a very important point, which is we need to have a broad uh, view of beauty in order to uh, basically encapsulate everything that we may consider beautiful. Uh, my first question, before even going to your personal formula of beauty, um, is is basically, do you think that there are um, layers in that? definition so everything that's beautiful we have to find a way to encapsulate everything but then can like as you were saying like does a mathematical equation and let's say a beautiful painting and a museum are they beautiful in the same level so are there layers into this tell me what's what your, your there are and these layers are basically closely related or even the same thing as the different layers in your desires and your needs. So when I say something that is good for you, that could be good because it's something you actually need like food to eat to survive uh, or, you know, like our sexual urges, which are a big part of how we find people beautiful, right? Uh, or it could just be something that you sort of vaguely want, like maybe you're a little stressed and so seeing a calm painting something that evokes like silence and not too many people seems beautiful to you at that moment because you are stressed and you need calm so so yes there are layers because at any given moment you need and you want dozens of things potentially right some of some, some of which are actually contradictory sometimes you want a thing that is not compatible with another thing you want and you need to choose and both things can feel beautiful at that moment uh, and maybe one of them is a really primal urge like something related to sex or food and the other is like some some sort of like uh quote unquote uh higher desire right um 
And then you have to choose at that moment. And maybe at that moment, uh, you are really, really the primal urge is actually really, being really strong. And then you will find way more beauty in an appetizing plate of food than in a masterpiece by Picasso or whatever. Um, so, so yes, there are layers and these are always changing because we are constantly changing as people over the course of a day or of an hour or of a year or of a lifetime. And so, to me, it doesn't really make sense to say like this is objectively more beautiful than that. I mean, it just really depends on what you will find interesting uh, at that at that moment. Yeah. So uh, while reading your work, uh, you, you present these four different concepts. Uh, interesting, the concept of interesting, beautiful, ugly and boring. And I would ask you to just explain to the people that are listening, how do these four relate with each other? Right. So beautiful, as I said, is a way to pay attention to things that are good. Um, but interestingness is basically even more general than that. It's uh, pay. It's uh, it's what happens when you make you pay attention to anything for any reason. Interesting. Something is inter can be interesting and beautiful, but it could also be interesting and not beautiful, um, like kind of neutral, aesthetically speaking, or it could even be interesting and uh downright ugly right um and so interesting really just means you there is some benefit to you to pay attention to that thing um so yeah interesting englobes all of this and to me boring boredom if you will is basically everything that's outside of interesting it's everything that you don't really benefit from paying attention to uh obviously obviously you may be mistaken like i'm not saying this is like a perfect system but overall that's it you are bored when you have been doing something repeatedly so there's no new information new information is positive is usually at least interesting and sometimes positive and beautiful but at least interesting and when there's no new information then boredom sets in and yeah so when you look at just a if an artist presents you a blank canvas and say it's a work of art and there's literally no information in it and it's really literally just a single color for like all of the area surface area of the painting that's there's no information there's no interesting patterns there's no whatever positive things you need so that's probably going to be interpreted as boring yeah uh, which is not the same and it could also be ugly and boring i guess but ugly is kind of usually more kind of uh yeah like a negative like beauty yeah yeah one of the examples that you give and i love is the the example of violence uh like uh and and i found that it was so funny because i was taking some notes on your on our essay on in, and i was thinking about it and for instance people that are actually into martial arts will consider that fighting and that kind of violence is actually something that's interesting and beautiful like you're watching some jujitsu and and suddenly someone locks a combination and you think oh my god that's beautiful so but but an example of something that would be uh uh ugly and interesting would be some kind of violence that it's good for you to know that it is out there in the world uh but it's yeah. not a, a good thing right yeah, I mean, like, wh why is a tiger beautiful, right? Why is our, like, large predators, there, there is a beauty, right, in a tiger, in a polar bear, whatever. Um, why? Well, I mean, there's many reasons. There's always many reasons. Uh, one of them is basically they're mammals, and we empathize with mammals. We sort of see ourselves in them. Uh, another, but another big thing is that, like, it's super important to pay attention to tigers. And um, so it, it's, that seems, that's a little subtle. It's not like, 
it's important because the tiger is good for you, but it's important because seeing the tiger is good for you because yeah. then you can react and run away or you know, just avoid the tiger or fight it. Um, I mean, uh, <laughs> there's crazy people out there who want to fight the tiger. <laughs> Sometimes you have no choice, right? Uh, it's better yeah. to be fighting a, a tiger than being eaten by the tiger while you're asleep. True. Um, uh, so, so, I totally agree on that. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, uh, Go ahead, I mean, the so basically violence is a is a is a, a super super set super set of this. Um, it's uh, violence is not usually beautiful. In most cases of seeing violence, we'll be more disgusted, or uh, we'll, there there'll be a negative aesthetic reaction. Yeah. Basically, we'll see it as ugly. It's, we we don't really like seeing our friends being punched in the face. Yeah. Yeah. we do not. Uh, we do not like war can be romanticized and we have nice stories about war but like I've never been in a war but I, I kind of predict that if I were I would find it very ugly when you, we see bombings yeah, sure. Ukraine or whatever it's it's destruction it's ruin it's bad so we usually see it as ugly but again there's new information in violence sometimes there is uh maybe you're living a really really boring life right now and you really want excitement and the and it's actually alluring to like go yeah. fight against the russians and the ukraine right in ukraine mm -hmm. I should say. um like they, they, so so we as i said we have multiple contradictory desires and wants uh and and needs so sometimes yes violence can totally be positive yeah. in some ways yeah, beautiful. And, and in your in your essay, you you then start to to uh, peel apart different uh, notions that somehow relate to beauty. And I would love to go just one by one and have a little bit uh, a little comment on it. And you first of all, you start with cuteness. What can you tell us about cuteness? Cuteness is pretty uh, straightforward, evolutionary speaking. It's uh, it's basically the beauty of young kids. Um, and there's a pretty clear evolutionary reason why we care about young kids and want to pay attention to them, right? If it's basically how our genes are being transmitted to the next generation and and, and keep going. And basically everything in evolution is exists with the quote unquote goal of like transmitting our, our genes. I, I put yeah. goal under quotes because it's not exactly how this works. It's more just that they so happen to have done this so they survive over time. Uh, but basically, that's uh, that's that's what cuteness is, and 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 cuteness. So what what is associated with a young kid? Things like small size, things like clumsiness, things like having a larger head proportionally to the rest of the body, and uh, maybe some some things that we culturally associate with kids, like bright colors or things like that. Yeah. So. So then take all of these things, and even if you apply them to something that is not a human kid, you can still see cuteness, for instance, in a baby animal or even just like a house, right? Like a tiny, colorful house seems cute. But that's basically an analogy to the, the reason we, we find babies cute. Yeah, it's it's so funny because I, uh, first of all, you, you in in your essay you just you give an example of a, a very small snake, which is a cute snake, and the snake the snakes usually aren't cute, and then you relate yeah. that, and I found that fascinating. By the way, we'll leave the the link for your your essay in the description, of course. And uh, but it's so funny because me and my girlfriend, when um, when we text each other, we sometimes use um, a collection of gifts, and which are the cute gifts, and it. After reading your essay, I couldn't help notice that all of them have bigger heads than the body, and so mm -hmm. it, it 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 basically it basically made me realize that 
yeah, the, it, like the things that I thought were cute, I and I didn't quite understand why, suddenly have a, a very perfect uh, explanation. And that was fascinating. So the next one, uh, the next uh, subset of beauty is hotness or sexiness. And this one is also pretty straightforward, but I would love to have some thoughts on it. Yeah, well, I mean, it's pretty clear that uh, having a healthy mate for reproduction is good for the passing of your genes. So, uh, so we find we tend to find sexy uh, people who seem to be good at this, um, like being <laughs> especially in men, being strong is considered sexy because strongness is a good way to survive and a good way to obtain what you want. And then just having like thing like a symmetrical face, the clear skin that shows no evidence of disease, um, all these things that are desirable when you're going to be in close contact with someone. So for your own health and also for the health of your future kids. Um, and again, that's totally something that can spill over, if you will, into other domains. Um, I mean, one of the very clear examples is uh, same-sex attraction, which is definitely not going to lead to babies, but still kind of uses the same, like it's still basically the same brain mm. evaluating. So, so you still, you still see this, and um, and then you also can. It's kind of rarer to see something non-human as sexy, but you know, people will use the word sexy for a car sometimes or something. Um, maybe yeah. that's not necessarily exactly the same thing as just using the word, but uh, um, but yeah, and 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 obviously also I, I mentioned. Uh, uh, same-sex attraction but attraction to images right the, the whole existence of pornography exists because we are able to seize the signals of sexiness mm -hmm. in things other than a literal physical person that's sitting next to you yeah and so that's precisely one of the the, the few ramifications that i had uh, is like i would love to have a, your take on it like on pornography and everything related to it is it beautiful is it not give me your personal take on it that, that's one of the clearer cases of conflicting desires. We have the primal urge, as I mentioned earlier, for, for sex. Most of us do. And um, and this is clearly something we want and so we're attracted to. Um, you, but it's quite common to not describe things like pornography as beautiful because we kind of, for some reason, we kind of want to reserve the word beautiful to something that seems associated with less primal urges yeah uh, but like I, to, to my mind it's kind of still kind of the same thing it's just a subset of the whole aesthetic experience um, um I, I would be okay if somebody was saying no like sexual attraction is like the work is a basically totally different mechanism than general beauty i think that's like mm -hmm. you could make that case um but it doesn't to me seem altogether that different we still describe attractive people as beautiful all the time so yeah um so yeah i think that's that's it uh then whether that's good or bad uh we can leave that as an exercise for listeners uh yeah, yeah to, to evaluate because that that's that, that was one of the things that i've thought about while reading this was basically um because uh, in our last conversation we uh in the end of it you you made you did mention that and i get thinking about it because i wouldn't so in in pornography what happens is basically you have this allegedly beautiful girls or beautiful boys so it's it, it it's something that should be beautiful and yet doesn't feel like it um and 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 so but but yeah that that was my take and i really wanted to to hear yours so the next well if, if i may like 
there's also things like disgust and um, ugliness that come into play, right? And so you can totally be feel disgusted. Yeah. Both of us are disgusted by at least some sexual behaviors. Um, yeah. Or also for probably evolutionary reasons, if you dig into it, um, things like uh, avoiding disease or whatever. Um, and mm. that's kind of a whole complex field, like the field of fetishes and so on, um, which yeah. I don't think we're getting into. But uh, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. but but basically what I'm saying is um this this is a complicated phenomenon that's that's nested within the more the, the larger phenomenon of beauty and and like it's yeah basically I don't think it's like that that different. It's just something with again lots of conflicting desires yeah. or yeah and desires. Yeah. Yeah, it, it makes a little sense. So the, the next subset of beauty that you mentioned is elegance. Uh, and what can you tell us about that? So in this trick here, elegance, um, like you ask people to define what elegance is and they will struggle. It's not a very obvious concept. And it, it's also something that's kind of fairly general. We apply it often to things like um, clothing, uh, so. buying, uh, buildings maybe. Um, and then maybe also to general design, like is the design of an iPhone elegant, right? Yeah. Is the design of uh, an app or a house or whatever elegant? And also then some people will talk of elegance in the field of mathematics or yeah. computer science, like an elegant program. So that's kind of all yeah, things that and... are unrelated, right? Yeah. Yeah, but my my question in terms of elegance would be because most of the times we use it uh, to describe, uh, like, like you say, fashion design, all that stuff. But one of the things that I found interesting, and I just realized that while reading through your test text, was that in Portugal we actually use fairly it's it's fairly common to use the word elegant to describe someone like a person instead of just the the clothing. And I was wondering yeah. if if that's just something that happens here in, or, or or if you have that experience as well and if not why do you think that that's not that uh common to describe someone as being elegant i think uh around me we will also use that word to describe people but to me it feels very much like it is a statement on uh on the appearance the clothing? And, mm -hmm. well the clothing and everything else that could be the hair that could be the uh, the 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 way of behave of of being in public of the person mm. I think so that includes behaviors maybe to some extent as well mm -hmm. um, yeah I mean my 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 basically the best definition I came up with when thinking about what elegance is is that it is the simplicity and effectiveness of design mm -hmm. um, and well maybe not of design maybe that is con uh, limiting the concept too much but it does feel like it's it's apply to things that are designed most of the time. So even for a person, uh, like it, I don't, I don't know if, if that's the case for you in Portugal, but it doesn't feel mm -hmm. like you could describe someone as elegant if they're like on their own naked on an island, like not, yeah, not at all, not presenting at all. themselves in some way, right? Like yeah, just yeah. describing someone as elegant just based on like their body or something that doesn't yeah. feel exactly like that's what we're talking about. So I do think design seems to be Close, yeah, both out there, and then yes. as I said, the simplicity and effectiveness. So, an elegant design is a design that works and that is not overly complex. 
Yeah, and perfect. Same simplicity of a program, same thing, the simplicity of a mathematical formula, the simplicity of uh, an outfit. I think yes. that's basically yeah. It makes a lot of sense. So uh, the other one, the next one is opulence. And one of the things that I found fascinating was that I realized that my own definition of beauty or, or the aesthetic kind of images that I had when I was thinking about beauty as this optimal concept or this high uh, uh, concept, almost all of them came from what you call opulence and i had no idea that 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 and I, I found that very very interesting so tell us a little bit about uh what it is and how do you relate it with beauty so opulence i think that's one of the concepts i was less sure of in in my when i was writing about this um but basically it's the beauty of wealth and we're still talking about extremely general things because what is wealth wealth is basically things you want so we're still yeah. basically like basically yeah. all the things, right? Um, and so everything you could like if you're a wealthy person, you can surround yourself with beauty of all the kinds if you if if you want. Opulence is kind of the kind that is meant to show off the wealth. Um, mm -hmm. So so that's so probably most listeners in their head when I'm talking about opulence will imagine things like gilded objects, right? Things that uh, suggest the presence of gold. Because gold is has been associated for millennia with like wealth and and stat and high status, right? So, yeah. so, so to me, op opulence is like yeah, I'm I am basically telling you you I am rich, or maybe you are telling that and you're not actually rich because you're faking it somehow. That's that can also be yeah. done. Um, but uh, yeah, so that's that's what it is, and it does feel like it is a separate concept from the others because opulence often isn't really elegant it's more about being showy than being simple and effective uh it's not necessarily cute or sexy or any of the other things uh, i'm thinking of like uh, if you've seen like pictures of donald trump's uh bathroom thing, yeah. right? like like yeah. it's uh, it doesn't really fit with anything else it is kind of beautiful in its own way or like maybe not because you hate donald trump that's fine too mm -hmm. but like, there, there is there's something attractive to obviously wealthy things, basically because yeah. wealth is attractive. Yeah, but I, I would, it's funny because when I was listening to your piece, the way, uh, when I was actually reading your piece, uh, the way that I thought about it was rather different because in my mind, what I what I associated with it uh, was not the kind of the Donald Trump bathroom, but like, for instance, I, I would imagine like someone who has the means to have say, uh, uh, a room full of paintings in their house. I would associate that with 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 opulence, and I don't see that as a at least for me. I don't see it as a way of 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 showing wealth, but the the mere fact of being uh, surrounded by that kind of beauty is something that I like. Because for instance, the the image that you use was this chandelier, which I, personally to me it, it's it's. Uh, in, into my and this is talking only about my aesthetic uh, uh, values, but I don't I don't like it that much. But sometimes that kind of design or that kind of aesthetics is something that I do uh, consider beautiful, and and I, I I like that insight by by yeah. by reading your your piece. Um, so the 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 next one is kitsch and, and it, I, I think I'm pronouncing it right and I had never word I, I never heard of this word so please explain what explain to us what's kitsch kitsch is 
a very bizarre concept where it is it's it's not even actually really that much of a subset of beauty anymore we're more in the interesting and maybe sometimes even ugly part of the of the concept space uh, but sometimes kitsch can also sort of be reclaimed and become beautiful so what is kitsch kitsch i think is um it's like the beauty or the interestingness of exaggeration of cliches of uh yeah the, like over like over the topness if that's a word that's not a word whatever um yeah but we get we get the sense we get the sense of right right so so the open chandelier or donald trump's bathroom actually I, I think can very well be qualified of uh, their kids yeah. there are they're too much right they're just uh they're, yeah, they're basically trying to show off something, and it's kind of um, and it's it's kind of annoying. It's kind of a lot of people, especially those who pride themselves in having good taste, will find kitsch things ugly. Until you get to the point where kitsch becomes beautiful again because it's reclaimed. Because like maybe there's a really kitsch. Like imagine a a store in your city that's like shaped like a big pink castle and it sells ice cream and has like giant ice cream cone on, on top of it or something, right? That's totally ridiculous, totally over the top, uh, certainly good at attracting attention. Um, and then that people will be like, what, that's so ugly, especially in like a maybe taste, tasteful, like old European city, like why yeah. is it there? But then maybe years later, people really like it because it's sort of like a unique thing of that city, right? So it's mm -hmm. kind of, um, so yeah, I don't think I'm giving a really, really good definition of what kitsch is because I don't think I have one. It's yeah. just a complicated concept, but uh, it's something that will that you sort of need to deal with when you try to to catalog all the kinds of beauty. You yeah, kind of deal with it. Yeah. By the way, before we jump into the last concept, I just want to say that one of the things that I really admired on our conversations, both the first one and this one that we're having right now, is your intellectual humility. Like, uh, there's a, you don't have the need to just present something and say that's what it is and and it's and over. And I really appreciate that and just wanted to to uh, let you know that. Uh, so the the last subset of of beauty and of interesting is coolness right so and this one i really enjoyed and i found fascinating that the image that you you use actually describe most uh mostly described a, a musical genres right so tell us a little bit about coolness yeah that's another complex concept uh, i don't think anyone really really knows what cool means even cool people don't know um <laughs> <laughs> and like if you one of the things I put in, in that essay that's basically just copy pasted from Wikipedia is like this sort of timeline of cool, like what the word cool has meant and where it comes from. And apparently it was sort of born with like bored Italian aristocrats in the 18th century and, and evolved into a bunch of things. And, and lately, I guess the cool people are what, like some people making hip hop music or something like what what is like this yeah. like prototypical coolness of the 21st century right um yeah. so uh, i don't even actually remember what i said about cool uh, yeah, yeah one of the, you you basically said that you, you didn't have a specific de definition but uh you said that it, it could be applied to people it could be applied to okay. gadgets as well um uh, and I and so yeah. I, I was going to say, I think it's it's one of those concepts that are really closely associated with social stat status. 
some of the mm -hmm. other concepts are not so much, right? You can be cute and have no social status. You can be elegant yeah. and have no social status. But coolness sort of is like the beauty of being recognized as someone who has some desirable yeah. qualities. Yeah. Like you're interesting at a party or maybe you're playing cool, cool music or, or, or you're the most popular artist around um yeah and these things make you cool because people recognize these things as good and then they sort of uh apply that to you as a person or to a work of art or you know it can be applied to a bunch of things so it's uh so yeah i think if opulence is the beauty of like actually having wealth uh cool like like actual financial capital mm -hmm. coolness might be the beauty of having social capital yeah and and that that makes a lot of sense absolutely uh, and one of the things that i also associated with this because i, I was looking at the the graph that you put it with and all the musical genres and i and i thought about cool jazz which is something that's uh there uh and and i remember that like and, and i think that there's a clue there into the the specific definition of cool uh, uh because when you're playing cool jazz it's something a lot a lot of times it's something that's laid back that's simple that's uh and and i think that i don't have a definition of cool or but but i do think that is somehow related with simplicity uh as as well uh and so some laid back uh playing because i'm imagining jazz but but something uh, as a laid back attitude as well um i think it would be some kind of definition um and, and and just before before we wrap the the beauty subject i do want to ask you something which was now that you that that we've gone through all these different definitions on beauty now that you ha we have your personal take on beauty and your formula i was wondering why did you felt compelled um to search for and to think about this specific topic i think it's because for some reason it's not something that people talk about a lot people would talk about what is beautiful and so people will have lots of aesthetic opinions all the time right people will talk about what art or what music or what movies they like or not what kind of house decor they like or not uh, architecture people love arguing about architecture um but not that many people thought, think about sort of okay but what what is sort of governing all of this why why are people um or like what compels people to argue about these things um and again as i said i'm sure some philosophers have been doing a lot of like formal academic work on this but like to me it was kind of an interesting puzzle to to think about um first with uh, my evolutionary background um and then just sort of as a general topic and and yeah, i don't know it, it does feel like it's just a topic i keep coming back to because it does seem like there are interesting insights on how we work and even like i think there's actually practical uh benefits to thinking about this i think when you realize what beauty is and how it works then you can be way more intentional in, uh, in your own life for for uh for various things and yeah. I mean, an example is uh, marketing. Marketing is basically the use of beauty and aesthetics to promote something. Um, and a marketer is kind of a subset of artists, if you want. I mean, maybe some people will, would object to calling marketers artists, but like they basically have the same job of 
presenting things in a way that will cause positive aesthetic reactions in people. And mar the marketers are doing this with an actual purpose of selling something or uh, convincing yeah. people of a cause or a political party or something. Um, whereas artists may do it just for fun or just for the love of beauty or, or whatever they, they, the love of art or whatever they they want. But but still, so mar marketers exist. They're definitely doing that thing. And if you are sort of not aware or just sort of dimly aware of what they're doing then you can you're i think more vulnerable to it whereas when you sort of realize as like like you realize with the cuteness example earlier right like if you realize that an ad is really just you're sort of attracted to that product because there's like a cute baby in it and you're like oh but that's just because they sort of taped into our urge to care about babies i don't actually care about that product i care yeah. about babies i am yeah. not going to buy that product because like I don't care. Um, yeah. Yeah. Whereas if you don't really realize, you sort of like, oh, cool, that's a cool ad. And then you sort of just have a positive image of the product in your head for just because you were successfully manipulated by the marketer. We can never avoid fully being manipulated. And it's not necessarily desirable to avoid it. But um, I think it's good to sort of have a higher level of control on your awareness. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes total sense. And you just give me an insight because one of these days I was reading a thread by Isabella, I don't remember her surname, uh, but basically it was around creativity and artists and selling and and the, the internal conflict that arises in an artist when he or she feels that to sell she must somehow sell herself as well and sell her heart uh, and, 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 and change her or his heart. To, to to sell in the relationship between those two and and you just mentioned that you just laid out that in a very um clear way which is basically the difference is on the intention right one of them is doing something that he or she knows it's good for you uh because you're you're um because she he or she wants to sell you a product and the other one is just doing it by the love of art and i found that fascinating uh yeah, so let's segue into the second topic that that I want to talk with you about, which is um, modern golden ages. All right, and it, you're actually one of those people that actually wrote about golden ages. And so uh, I was wondering, I, I I know that you you've written about it and you you look at it from three different axes or three different pillars, which were uh, political, cultural, and economic. Uh, but I was wondering first if you could give us your definition of what a modern golden age looks like. Golden age is kind of a fuzzy metaphor for something that's prosperous, right? Something that's like a period that is wealthy, high living standards, uh, cultural output, a um, bunch of things that you sort of want a civilization to go through. Um, so there is clearly not like clear definition, I think everyone agrees. Um, when you when you when we look at it historically, uh, we will usually call something a golden age in part due to contrast with what is surrounding that period. So the golden age is better in all those dimensions than before and after. Um, so that's kind of a, an interesting thing is that golden ages usually end. Uh, so now whether we are or not in a golden age right now is you could say well we will know once it ends right and and yeah. uh, 
if uh, if there's a catastrophic war next year, let's hope not. But if there is, and living standards plunge, um, then maybe you it will look back and say, "Wow, the early 21st century was such a man- an incredible period of flourishing." And it's uh, yeah. oh, it's it's too bad that we're not in it anymore. So that's one definition. It's uh, it's a I mean, it's work history. It, it, it's, uh, it's a good one when you're looking at history, but it's not super useful for us, right? Um, so the other definition really, I think, is um, whether we are in a period that allows progress. I think that's the best uh, definition of what a golden age is from the perspective of being in it or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and to that end, I think we I would say that we are undergoing a modern golden age i think we are we have been undergoing a modern golden age for about depending on where in the world but about 200 years mm-hmm. um since the enlightenment and industrial revolution and so to me so to me that's kind of uh yeah be, because basically with since then we have been uh, allowing fast progress we actually believe in progress we actually believe that we can improve the world solve our problems and we're not just relying on tradition uh, not necessarily rejecting tradition but we are just considering it together with other ideas newer ideas and then trying to select the best ones with some mechanisms like science or democracy and a whole other lot of uh of mechanisms to, de- to take decisions. So I think we since we are in that period, in such a period, and, and such periods have been rare historically, like Athens in the fifth century BC was one, um, but uh, there are very few periods that really clearly qualify. Um, so in that perspective, I think we, we are in a golden age. Now, of course, you can still use a golden age phrase as sort of something aspirational or something even better. Maybe sort of the inverse of what I said earlier, maybe next year there's no catastrophic war, but maybe instead there's a new revolutionary technology that raises the living standards of everyone and everyone is super rich and healthy. And then it seems like we were not in a golden age really now because it will be so much better tomorrow. But uh, again, that's not necessarily that useful except as something aspirational. Yeah, I think I, I use the, the, the term as uh, uh, specifically, uh, 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 not not specifically. I use it in a very deliberate way as something that's not clear at all, but is aspirational because it it usually helps people to to think uh, beyond what they're thinking uh, the, uh, normally, right? And I do have one question that you you said that one of the things that you associate with it is is the idea of progress. And my question was it would be like, do you is there any specific area where you believe progress is more needed in order to become uh, uh, clearly a, a golden age? Or is it just progress in general? Because what you have this whole uh, view on, on on progress, and you might be familiar familiarized with it as Peter Thiel presented it, and also Tyler Cohen and some other people, which is basically that you're having all this progress in the technology space, but there's a lot of things that just stagnate, right? And I was wondering how would you uh, comment on that? Like, yeah, sorry. I think I think progress can be basically fully replaced with a synonym, which is problem solving. Mm. You have a problem and you solve it, that's progress. That problem can be anything, right? It could be a problem in coordination between humans. It could be a problem in 
I would like to have a house and I do not currently have a house. And then you solve the problem by building or buying a house, right? Um, so that could be anything. And the solution to a problem can also be anything. It could be technological. It tends to often be for reasons that I will mention just after, but it could also be like the solution to a problem can totally be something more uh, political or social or, um, yeah, or, or even, you know, sometimes the solution is also just stop caring about the problem. That's also, I think, a form of work. So, um, and, and so why, why is it often technological or why has technology been that good at solving problems in the past 200 years? Um, it's because technology is basically the creation, it's basically the consequence of having new knowledge and new knowledge is kind of, uh, once you have it, it's kind of free. It doesn't require resources. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's a way of, organ like we're going back to what we were talking at the very beginning, right? Like a way of organizing information. Um, once you have invented a computer, then, I mean, it will take some resources to create the physical computer, but like the idea of computer can be copied infinitely. You can, there's nothing preventing um, preventing that. So if the computer is actually improving the life of people, actually solving problems, which computers are, um, then technology, uh, then, then it's an example of a technology that's just basically helping everyone uh, quote unquote for free. Um, and, and again, social solutions can also be described like this. You can, and I think it's actually interesting to describe some, some uh, political development as social technologies. Mm. Like, yeah, like laws can be described as social technology, right? It's yeah. something you design. It's a piece of information that then you apply to reality and then it changes reality without necessarily requiring resources. Re using resources is another way to solve your problems. And uh, sometimes your problems is really just make more money and that's fine. But like you that that cannot be applied to all of humanity all the time. Sometimes you really just need new ideas, new information, new technologies. Yeah, it, it makes sense. So you wrote a piece on precisely Athens and, and evaluating the golden age that happened there. One of the things that stood out for me was, uh, and I had no idea about this, but there was uh, a leader, a so-called leader, right? Someone who is associated with, with that golden age. And so my question would be something along the lines of, do you think, A, do you think that a leader is needed for a golden age to happen? And if so, what would a modern leader would look like for a modern golden age? You're asking tough political philosophy question. I love it. Um, so um, a leader, I think... So what is a leader? What why why would we want leaders, right? Why what is the point of having leaders at all? Why is the social technology of leadership, if you want to call it that, useful? The reason is coordination. Mm. That's really that's really all there is to it, and I think that's also a point that's underappreciated. People will would actually have better political opinions if they realize that the point of politics is coordination, solving coordination problems. Coordination problems are among among the most difficult problems because they they are caused by a whole lot of people having divergent interests and having to compromise on the things that they share, like the environment around them. Um, and so there's a classical example that use environmental concepts, like you have a bunch of factory factories around the lake and like 
they have an interest of dumping sewage like or whatever their waste into the lake because it doesn't cost them anything but then if they all do it the lake becomes disgusting and ugly and the water supply of the nearby town is now bad and so you have to stop this but if one factory stops doing that then they have more cost and then the other factories can sort of win and then that's bad the lake is so bad and that factory is just out of business so how do you solve this you have a coordination mechanism in place that usually will take the form of a government and a government can be designed in any number of ways but usually it involves one to a small number of people who take decisions um well how many people depends maybe you have a bunch of committees and subcommittees and then three layers of government uh, like local and provincial and federal or whatever you know you like there that's the whole field of political philosophy and political science how do you design this but basically you want something to coordinate and say from now on anyone who will dump sewage into the lake will pay a fine so now they all stop doing it at the same time they coordinate and now the lake is good and the factories well you know they find some other way of getting rid of their waste um so and that generalizes to everything now does it need to be a single person um not necessarily but the obvious advantage in this is that you don't need to coordinate among the leaders, right? There's only one person, that person has no coordination problems, so they're free to solve them. And so that's basically the argument for a monarchy. But obviously that comes with a whole lot of other problems, which yeah. may make you want to have something that's not a, a one single dictator. Yeah. Yeah, that, that that's such a, a great question. Um, and, and so looking at it with that lens, if if we were to pick, say, three, four, five um, um, attitudes, skills, values for a leader in in a modern golden age, uh, what would those be to you? Um, the quality of the leader for leading a civilization in the golden age. Well, let, 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 let's, look, let's look at Pericles, so the leader you mentioned earlier who was uh, leading Athens during its, uh, its best like his most famous uh, historical period um he was someone who clearly valued openness like the freedom of ideas the freedom of people to come and see the city of athens and 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 leave and then and, and people were free to criticize things and he had also some sort of um clearly something that we could call today national pride um nationalism didn't really exist back then but like still like sort of like pride for his city um so yeah i don't mean I, I don't know if i'm going to say that all these things are necessarily the what you want but clearly something like agreeing that there will be many ideas some of which you will personally disagree with but it's still good to have those ideas you disagree with i think that's like a really 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 key point that's really not easy to have and one of the reasons i think we have been in the golden age for 200 years is that for the most part, at least in the West and in most countries today, we have that. But we definitely do not have that everywhere, right? We don't really have that in China, for instance. Um, because that's, uh, and I'm just riffing off on, riffing yeah. I'm just basically re remixing David Deutsch, uh, the beginning of Infinity, where he talks about this a lot. Like, you want um, freedom to come up with many 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 ideas and then a mechanism to criticize those ideas to select the best ones it's uh 
And I mean, it seems like a good point, a good place to make yet another link to the back of this uh, podcast episode, which was about evolutionary biology, where, which works by having a lot of mutate, random mutations. Both uh, of them are bad, and then there's a filtering system to select, yeah. right? You also want yeah. that in ideas. Yeah, that, that 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 makes a lot of sense. So I I do have just uh one or two more questions before we wrap this up. And the first mm -hmm. one is um what are some of the practices that we that you personally believe we have to do in order to get into a modern golden age or actually start understanding that we already are in a modern golden age? Um well, let me think. It's clear that we still have like a lot of problems. So we we can definitely be more of a golden age by solving more more of our problems. Of course, that will create yet more problems. There's like basically never free completely solution. Um, so so yeah. So but but still, we can sort of grow into a, a golden age by solving problems. And one thing that we need to realize for this to be possible is that uh, we need to have a basically a problem solving mindset. We need to realize our problems are solvable, mm. and and we don't know how. Obviously, if we knew how, they would already be solved. Yeah, so, yeah. So, um, so we want that. And another way of saying the same thing is we want we should have an innovation positive or a progress positive culture. Um, mm. That's basically the goal of the whole field, the like growing field of progress studies. Like uh, Tyler Cohen wrote a lot about this, as you mentioned. Yeah. So that's all. That's still the same idea, right? It's Let's solve our problems. We they are solvable. We don't know how, but we will figure it out. But if you sort of say from the outset there is absolutely no way to solve this problem, then you will not solve it, and then we will stagnate, and yeah. then maybe our descendants will look at us and be like, "They were not in golden age." You want our descendants yeah. to stay in golden age, right? So, yeah. Um, yeah, I think I think I, I would say that is the main thing. I, I see some worrying signs of this in, in society today. There's a lot of people who seem to think that climate change is not a solvable problem, basically. Mm -hmm. um, and then they become pessimists. Pessimists, yeah. They, yeah. Or uh, doomers, if you if you want. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, and that's kind of bad. First of all, it's kind of bad for you, for yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Like, what, what are you going to do if you live in a world that you genuinely believe is going to be unlivable or destroyed and i think climate change but other risks like uh some people worry about uh, artificial intelligence risks right or yeah. any any other number of risks um it's you need to think that these things are solvable if, if not you're yeah. you're gonna solve them and you're never gonna make it all yeah make it all the, the the yeah the hope that uh, a, a problem that arises can be solved is is definitely one of the fundamental things that you have to do in order to understand that you're living in a modern golden age or in order to get to to one. Uh, I just have one last question, which which is basically, what are some of the personal values that you believe uh, we will have to carry into a modern golden age? What, like you mean my own values or like just values? Yeah, like like values. What, let's say that we're basically phil philosophizing around what values do the people yeah. that are living in this modern golden age would have. Like what what would be some like yeah. two three so, values? So so repeating myself a bit, but still like openness to ideas and ability to to select and criticize uh, ideas. Yeah. That's definitely a major one. 
um, which, which you can express sort of more or less by the concept of freedom, right? Freedom yeah. of speech, freedom of uh, yeah. uh, conscience, freedom of things, things like that. So, so, so that's one. I think it's uh, it's uh, it's probably in good taste right now to mention again aesthetics and beauty. I think having sort of um, an appreciation for for beauty and, and trying to actually make things beautiful because as we discussed beauty is just a way to connect with things that are positive so if you actually make that one of your goals not the only goal but one of your goals then you are going to make a, a better society most likely um so so i think that's uh that's an important value uh, and one that sometimes is kind of neglected some people sort of have visions of the future where it does seem like they it's bland, right? It seems like okay, people maybe are healthy and not sick anymore and wealthy, but yeah. also the world seems bland. That's I mean, to me, that's kind of a failure of imagination. And in the modern mm. world, I sure hope that we're going to have a super rich culture creating all sorts of yeah. new art and new completely different new aesthetic currents. Yeah. Um so 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 that's that's one also. And uh and the, the last one I would say is kind of an abundance mindset. Mm. First, most and first and foremost, in, in relation to people, we, I, I think we it would be good for that future golden age to have as many people living as good lives as possible. Yeah. Um, instead of having some visions of the future have like small population of people living almost on their own but in like super wealthy kind of because if there's some people have like a vision of if there were like only 10 million people on the entire earth we would have so many resources per person um true well maybe not even true because a lot of the good things in life come from other people like yeah yes new technologies new art and also just new good relationships yeah and friendships absolutely yeah. so uh, I want the future and I want that golden age to have as many people as we can without screwing uh, our common resources up. Yeah, yeah, it, it makes total sense. Again, that was a beautiful answer. And I will double down that we, part of the modern golden age, will definitely have to uh, be about relationships and about creating friendships and having these kinds of conversations. That's why I wanted to meet you first. I loved our first talk. I loved your episode here. One last question. If people want to connect with you, find your work, subscribe to your beautiful essays, what's the best place to do so? Um, the, the most convenient place is probably Twitter. If you use Twitter, my Twitter is HNFD. Um, I'm pretty active there. Um, if you would like more of the sort of longer writing, I publish weekly on the Substack newsletter called Atlas of Wonders and Monsters. Um, and yeah, I'd be happy if uh, some of you subscribe. Yeah, yeah I'll, we'll leave the, the links on the description. And once again, Etienne, thank you so much. It was a pleasure and I'll see you soon. For everyone listening, uh, please go follow Etienne. And uh, if you like this episode, consider subscribing and, and telling your friends about it because it will mean the world to me to keep having these awesome conversations with fantastic people like Etienne. And that's it. See you guys on the next episode. Bye. Thank you.